Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast for Friday, October 9th. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, and on today's show, I will be joined by Jeff Duncan, who will talk about his newest book, Peyton and Breeze, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. If you don't know Jeff Duncan, well, first of all, you should. He's a longtime New Orleans uh, journalist. He also is a writer for The Athletic, so great to have Jeff on the show to talk about his newest book that will be available soon, but you can pre-order it right now. So uh, you don't want to miss that interview with Jeff. We'll also welcome on to the show longtime kicker, longtime NFL kicker, John Carney. He'll talk a little bit about the Saints, uh, his thoughts on Peyton and Breeze right now, the Saints' momentum as they are a quarter of the way through the season, um, and how life has changed for him and his coaching during COVID-19. So great interview with both Jeff and John. Uh, Thanks for listening on this Friday edition. Uh, Before we get into that, game is on Monday. We will have a Monday edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast that you're not going to want to miss. We'll have Mark Broussard, uh, a New Orleans singer-songwriter from Louisiana, excuse me, and we'll also have ESPN's Monday Night Football analyst Brian Greasy on the show. So you're not going to want to miss Monday's edition. That will be available Monday morning uh, before the game, so you'll have plenty of time to get amped up for the Monday night football kickoff. Okay, enough of the teases. Let's go ahead and get into our first interview with Jeff Duncan. Now welcoming on the show, longtime journalist in the New Orleans area, current writer for The Athletic, Jeff Duncan, to talk a little bit about his newest book, Peyton and Breeze, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. Jeff, my first question to you, what number of book is this? Well, Carolina, it's number three, and I swore off after the first one, I'd never do another one. And here I am, I guess I'm addicted to pain. Uh, because there's nothing worse than a book project. It just hangs over your head like a dark cloud every day until you get it done. But once you do get it done, uh, it's really gratifying. Obviously, I've never written a book, and it was funny. Um, you know, I was I was looking up your books, and there's a website called Goodreads that comes up, and there's a book called um, The Town Mouse and the Country Mouse, and I was like, mm, I don't think I don't think that one was our Jeff Duncan. Um, but Jeff, can you tell me? I guess some of the biggest differences between writing just an article, which maybe takes up what an hour of your time. And then, like you said, having a book project that just hangs over your head. I don't know how you've written more than one book. Well, you know, I I tell you this book in particular uh, was a challenge in a lot of ways. My first two books, uh, Tales from the Saints Sidelines was just a series of anecdotes about the team. That was a lot of fun actually because I got to call a lot of older players, some Saints alumni, coaches, and get just anecdotes about the different eras of the Saints organization. So that was somewhat easy because it was little bites of stories. And the second book was much more challenging. Tales, uh, uh, sorry, Bags are from Bags of Riches uh, was a chronicle of the Saints Super Bowl uh, title and uh, you know the symbiotic relationship between the team in post-Katrina New Orleans and in the city of New Orleans. And so that was a, less of a, of a sports book than it was kind of a news story about the city of New Orleans. This one was challenging, Caroline, because it, 
it covered Drew Brees and Sean Payton's partnership here in New Orleans, which, as you know, covers a decade and a half. That's a long period of time. And so during the course of the research and interviews with different players and coaches, former teammates of Drew's, uh, players that played under uh, Sean Payton, it covers a long period of time. Players like uh, Jamie Martin, Mark Brunel have different reference points, different stories than, say, talking to Taysom Hill or Teddy Bridgewater about the two men. And so it was a challenge from a writing perspective on how we were going to structure the book, the organization of the book. Uh, to me, I spent months just deciding how I was going to put that together, uh, because normally you would follow a chronological arc, right? You know, the beginning and the end, right. it's easy for the reader to follow that. That wasn't going to be applicable, I think, in this case. And we ended up settling on topical chapters as opposed to a, you know, a, a chronological arc starting uh, with, with Drew and Sean arriving here in 2006. And I think readers will find that uh, uh, an easier way to follow this storyline because it centers on different topics of their greatness, if you will. Uh, Drew's historical accuracy, uh, his, histor you know, his competitiveness, Sean Payton's motivational gimmicks and play calling acumen. And then there's a third prong, and that is just the Saints offense in general that these two men have kind of uh, produced over the years, the, you know, the historical uh, prolificacy of this offense and how that's put together. And I found that to be one of the more fascinating parts of the book for myself in the research was finding out how they put together a game plan. And really, I believe that's a big part of their success. I have so many questions, but um, my first one is, do you, did you sit down with Sean Payton? Did you sit down with Drew Brees and have like one interview and then pull all of your information off of those interviews? Were you going back to your stories from, you know, when you first started writing about them in 2006, how do you properly get all of your assets together to begin organizing something like a book? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, and it's all those things. I had multiple sit downs with both Sean and Drew, just for this book. And then I pulled on all of my interviews over the years. Of course, I've covered the two men throughout their tenure here. So I had countless interviews, not only one-on-one -on -one interviews with both of them, but also group settings. Uh, I pulled stuff from NewOrleansSaints.com. I pulled Ooh. stuff from every possible avenue. I wanted to get as much information as I can, as I could, I'm sorry, and tried to gather uh, you know, a, a, a definitive account of both men and this offense. And that in itself, that organization uh, requires a lot of time to try and parse through all the interviews, figure out what, what you don't have, and then have set up follow-up interviews with both of them. Sometimes it would be nothing more than an email or a text to them uh, as a follow-up. Hey, can you clarify this? It wouldn't require a sit-down interview. Uh, but they were both extremely cooperative. I went to both Sean and Drew before I tackled the project and said, will you all be willing to participate in this? Both of them were very eager to do so. You know, Caroline, they, neither one of them has come out with a book since the Super Bowl. They each had a book that came out in the wake of the Super Bowl back in 2009, 2010. Well, lots happened since then. I mean, Drew's become the all-time passing leader. The Saints have gone on this kind of roller coaster ride. They're now... Uh, you know, on this great run. Uh, so there's a lot to cover there that I feel like readers will find insightful. 
humble brag that you also have Sean Payton and Drew Brees number that you can just text them whenever you want. I, I caught on to that. <laughs> I caught on to that. Um, so you talked about not going in chronological order. So when a reader opens this book, what should they expect to see? Can they can they read it from cover to cover? Can they jump around? What should they expect? Yeah, they can they can do both. I think that's one of the great things about how we put this book together. It, it does start out. It, it's for readers that don't know the Sean Payton Drew Brees story. They will, they will be able to follow along here and learn a lot about them. And then it's for the hardcore Saints fan that has read everything about Sean and Drew and knows how they arrived here together in 2006, knows all that story, but there's still a lot of new things they're going to learn from this book, uh, especially about the offense, I think. I think the real football nerd's going to get a lot out of how, uh, you know, this offense works, its roots, where it uh, came from and how it's evolved over the years to stay ahead of opposing defenses, which I think is one of the, the great uh, parts of their legacy is that they kept it fresh. It's never gotten stale. Uh, they've managed to keep this thing at the forefront of the NFL uh, over a, a decade and a half, which I think makes it unique, this head coach quarterback combination. But also I think it, it will be interesting for people that aren't even football fans. If you're a business person or you just wanna know how to succeed in life, you're going to learn a lot from how Drew Brees and Sean Payton approach their jobs because it, 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 there's no shortcuts with either one of these gentlemen. Uh, they, they put in an extraordinary amount of time and effort and resources into a single game. And that's one of the things that I really uh, became fascinated with was just how much time and energy they put into a single game plan yeah. to get ready for a game. And you can see the attention to detail, that Sean Payton and Drew Brees have is extraordinary. And uh, it's, it's really, I think, applicable to any facet of life. I don't want to ruin any of the parts of the book, but was there anything, Jeff, that when you were sitting down to learn about how they sit down for a game plan, you talk about their attention to detail that you were surprised about or you, you were especially fascinated by about the process of when they sit down and go over the game plan? Was there anything that kind of caught you off guard or maybe interests you a little bit more? Yeah, you know, I would say this. Um, I spent a lot of time also with Pete Carmichael and Joe Lombardi the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach who also have been there throughout the entire time. Joe Lombardi left for Detroit for a couple of years uh, during this, during this period. But for the most part, you have Pete, Joe, Sean and Drew together for a decade and a half. I don't know Carolina if that's ever happened before in the history of the NFL. It's really a remarkable, uh, you know, occurrence here in New Orleans. We shouldn't take that for granted, but learning how much they put in, to a single game plan. I'll give you an example. Joe Lombardi told me that this is a testament to Drew Brees's greatness. And, and, it, and it shows how he raises the standard for everybody in the building. Joe says that like, like they put together this game plan usually on Tuesday of a Sunday game week. And uh, they may go over a single running play for over an hour. And he said, I asked him, well, what, what are you doing in an hour for, to, you know, to get this uh, one play ironed out he said well the problem is it's Drew Brees and he, he meant that facetiously but what he was saying is Drew wants an answer to everything the defense is going to show him on that single play every play we run he wants answers as a quarterback and he said we may look at the say we're playing the Falcons and they may have potentially 40 different defensive alignments they can use on that single play and he said we may have 
an answer for 39 of their 40 defensive linemen. And he said, most coaching staffs, most players would say, well, you know what, if we dial that play up and they happen to be in that one defense that we don't have an answer for, we'll just run it and maybe gain a yard, maybe no gain, and we'll live another day. That's not good enough for Drew Brees. He wants an answer and they will spend an hour finding an answer for him for that one instance that's probably not even going to happen in a game. That shows you the attention to detail, the amount of work that the staff and Drew Brees puts in. God bless the producers of, of ESPN Plus or whoever has to do film study with Drew after, you know, he's, <laughs> he's long retired and they just have to cut down his segment to 15 minutes and he spent two hours on one play. Uh, that's fascinating. Jeff, last thing before I, I let you go, I want to learn more about this book, but what was your favorite chapter or your favorite thing to dive into about this book? Obviously, it's all going to be great. I can't wait to open it myself. But for you, the writer, what was something that you really really enjoyed writing about this book well there's a chapter in there about the the process if you will what they go through from monday to sunday to put together a game plan we've talked a little bit about that but the collaborative nature in the offensive meeting rooms how the sausage is made and there was one story that that joe lombardi and pete carmichael told me about a pass that drew Brees made back in 2008 against the San Diego Chargers, then the San Diego Chargers, when the, the Saints played them over in London. And it was a pass that they still, to this day, are amazed by. It, it basically uh, was going to be into coverage. There were five different Chargers players between Drew and Billy Miller, the tight end. And Pete Carmichael said, who, who would ever throw this pass? It's a testament to Drew's anticipation. He knew where the defense was going to go. And if you watch it, they show this, this play over and over. They showed it to me in the meeting room, uh, you would never throw that ball. There's five chargers between Drew and Billy Miller, but the, the Red Sea parted uh, as Drew cocked it and a ball went right to Billy Miller for a first down. It's still a play, Caroline, that, that Pete and Joe show to every quarterback that comes in the building to try and teach them the, you know, the importance of anticipation, of knowing where the defense is, knowing where his player is going to be. And it really is a hallmark of Drew Brees' greatness is, uh, you know, the ability to, read everything at one time and process it like that and make a play and to see how much how revered Drew Brees is still to this day with people that he uh, has coached and played with for 15 years is, is pretty amazing I mean he as you know in that building out there everyone has the ultimate respect for Drew Brees and it's it's just cool to see it uh, you know on a day-to-day -day basis. Man, I wish sports technology was advanced enough to where we could just be inside Drew's brain whenever he's going through all his checkdowns to see exactly what he's seeing, because I'm sure it's fascinating. And like you said, it happens all in just a second. Um, fascinating. Jeff, where can fans find your book, uh, either online or in stores? Well, you can order it right now online at either Triumph Books, the publisher out of Chicago or Amazon, and you can get it delivered right now. The release date is actually October 13th. Uh, so it'll be on bookstore, bookstores starting October 13th, and you can order it uh, online, as I said, right now. I'll have a lot of book signings in the area. I've already got a bunch of them lined up. So you can go to my Facebook page or the Breeze and Peyton book Facebook page, and I'll have a listing uh, on that account or also on my Twitter account and social media. So people, if they want to get out, uh, can come out and get a signed copy.
If you haven't followed Jeff on Twitter already, it's at Jeff Duncan with an underscore at the end. Uh, you're doing yourself a huge disservice if you're not following him already. Jeff, we appreciate your time. Can't wait to read uh, the book, Peyton and Breeze. Um, really looking forward to it. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks for having me and uh, have a great weekend. Okay, before we get into our interview with John Carney, quickly a word from our friends at SeatGeek. Just like all of you, SeatGeek can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Saints and sing along to our favorite songs again. They're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to events in the Big Easy, well, easier. Plus, every ticket purchase on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better if your event is canceled. Guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, let's go. SeatGeek. All right, welcoming on to the show now, longtime NFL kicker and longtime Saints kicker, John Carney, to the show. First of all, John, welcome. Thank you, Caroline. Great to be here. So tell me, how have things been for you? Obviously, we're in COVID-19. Everyone's having to adjust a little bit to their day-to-day life, but you're a coach. So how has that adjustment been? Uh, It's been a challenge. Uh, We're in California, so they like to lock things down out here a lot. So uh, we're kind of dodging and weaving and doing our best to keep our business open, get on fields, uh, and keep my guys training, Um, high school, college, and pro. Uh, make sure these guys are ready uh, physically and mentally for the opportunities right now in the NFL. Because of COVID, uh, many teams are carrying and working out kickers and punters, uh, keeping them on the practice squad. So I'm doing my best to keep those guys ready and in tune and up to date and uh, on the radar for NFL teams. So that's been exciting. Uh, that's, that's a benefit for our guys that that opportunity exists. And so we're trying to make sure they're uh, in the front of the line and getting their workouts. John, I would imagine as a coach, you have to, you know, have equal parts mentorship and coaching on the field. But is that more so now, especially when you have to talk to high school players? There's so much uncertainty, even at the college level. There's so much uncertainty with, uh, you know, games being played, high school sports, maybe stopping and starting. Have you had to be a little bit more of a mentor this year than in years past? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of players calling, especially at the high school and college level, uh, don't have a season. Now we have a season. Should I be training for off season or in season? Uh, so a, a lot of um, flux going on. And so um, it's been a challenge, but it's, it's been exciting. Uh, kind of rewriting the, the, the book here, the preparation book. Um, we have high school kids now that their first practices will take place in December out here in California. And their first games will be in January, uh, something they're not used to. Uh, they're going to be practicing and playing in colder weather and rainy weather, which they're not used to out here in California. So that's a, a, a change in adjustment. Um, and college players, we've had a lot of college players in town, not at their university, taking classes online and training with us here uh, where normally they would be at their college in the middle of a season. Uh, so that's been new. And then, of course, the Pac-10 and the Big Ten going from not going to have a season to now we're having a season and everything's in, in rush mode for them too. So uh, it's been exciting um, to say the least and replanning and, and rescheduling guys to, to be ready for, for when that season starts. Uh, and then my son's at Notre Dame right now. They've been playing football. Uh, they've been balancing 
football with COVID and guys sitting out and getting quarantined and uh, they've already had one game postponed this year. So um, a lot of change uh, and guys have to be flexible and, and, and roll with it and prepare and, and be ready really for the unknown. Uh, from your players that are playing for professional teams, have you heard anything, whether it's, you know, more challenging than in years past or on the professional level, does it seem like things are pretty status quo, even though things are significantly different for it seems like everyone else is here? Right. Yeah, uh, I think it's a, and I haven't had a long conversation with this, uh, but I know it's got to be very odd for players to play in empty stadiums hmm. for the most part. Um, so that's gotta be very different for them. Uh, there must be, um, a lack of adrenaline at times because they don't have the environment and the atmosphere of a normal stadium filled with, with cheering and yelling and booing fans. So, uh, that's gotta be a little bit of a vacuum for them, which is probably a little bit bizarre. Um, and the whole COVID thing, keeping players in bubbles, I'm sure they're restricted quite a bit on, on and certain teams are have different uh, rules and regulations about where they can go and how they can go and who can come to the game and and travel restrictions as well so uh, very odd times um, but the team that handles it the best uh, schedules schedules it the best and stays focused on on the task at hand which is playing really solid football on Sundays uh, they'll come out atop at the end of the season. John, obviously a huge reason we had you on the show is because you played for the San Diego Chargers in 1990 through 2000, and then you came to the Saints in 2001 through 2006, and then again in 2009 through 2010, now that I gave your entire history. Um, <laughs> so you know Sean Payton, you know Drew Brees, you've seen them, you've seen them work for, for years now um, from the outside, but do you think there's any team better equipped to handle a, a slower start that the Saints have had better than these two guys, these, this team? I think you're right, Caroline. Um, when I started, uh, when, when Drew came to us in 2006 and uh, Sean Payton, of course, the same year, mm -hmm. uh, Mickey Loomis joining up and, you know, just a, a, a very, very solid mix of experience and talent uh, and, and ingenuity uh, and creativeness by Sean Payton. Um, what I noticed right away is we had several games that year. We were kind of Cinderella team that year. We, you know, we, we go all the way to the NFC Championship game, um, which no one expected. And what I noticed that year, different than years past, not only for me playing with the Saints, but also the Chargers, was we could start a game and unfortunately, for whatever reason, get down at the beginning of the game, just like we did in the Super Bowl, to be honest with you, in 2009. Mm -hmm. With Sean Payton's uh, composure and Drew Brees' composure and the game plan that they had drawn up and prepared for, um, there was never a panic. And the team systematically went down the field, stuck to the game plan, put points on the board, and came out a winner at the end, just like they did last week against Detroit. You know, all of a sudden, it's 14 to nothing. What's going on with the Saints? Wow, it looks like Detroit has finally arrived. Nope. The Saints march down the field, score. March down the field, score. And then the rest of the game, they marched down the field and scored. Uh, so I believe, just as you mentioned, 
the Saints are very well equipped and have a long history of, you know, slow start, no panic, no panic, and guys that will get the job done and not feel the pressure of being behind in score or being behind in schedule because we have the talent, we have the game plan, and we have players and coaches that have shown a long track record of slow start, no problem, stick to the game plan. We will come out on top at the end of this, whether it's the end of the game or the end of the season. Something that I've found interesting for the past few years working in football, I have a a basketball background. So when I see people start to, uh, I don't want to say panic, but worry about teams, especially early on in the first like two weeks, it kind of makes me step back and wonder a little bit because in basketball, you basically have half of the season until you can hit the panic button, but it's a little bit different in football. And I'm not saying that the Saints should panic at all, but um, it's a different perspective and you have to take it week by week and every game is important. But when do you start concerning about a team? And not that anyone should be worried about the Saints, but you know, they're only four games into the season. When would you say you can get a proper pulse on a team and how they're going to do for the rest of the season? Probably about mid-season, which a lot of people would say, well, that's kind of late, John, but, um, you know, game eight, uh, you have a pretty good idea who you have, how the team's responding. Um, if you have if you have an injury bug, God forbid, you, you don't. Uh, but through eight games, your team has experienced a number of, of, of trials, a number of uh, successes and failures, and you kind of understand, okay, what corrections do we need to make for the second half of the season? And do we have the tools, coaching and players to make those adjustments to come out on top at the end of the season? Um, I'm a firm believer the Saints have those tools. They have the players, they have the coaches, they have the experience. Um, no, I mean, they're not getting blown out of the water. You right. know, played, they played a great game against the Raiders. They lost at the end. They, they uh, played a great game against uh, the Packers. You know, very, very, very close. Um, Still missing Michael Thomas, is that correct? As of right now, as of right now, when we're doing this interview on Wednesday. So I'm not going to say anything, but as of right now, yeah. Okay, I mean, the the most prolific receiver in the NFL right now, that's that's a big piece of the puzzle. And we're still putting up great numbers, and other guys are rising to the occasion. But I think we're very well equipped. I see no reason. I don't want to use the word panic. Um, Yep. Even even to to sweat. I mean, just stay, stay the course. Uh, I think the Saints have a very, very good team this year. I know they have a great plan. I know Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton are really, really, really good at handling adversity. Uh, From all the time that I've spent with them and and for other trials that the team has had to go through, the organization has to go through, they seem to keep guys on track and make plans that work. And so I'm excited about the Saints. I'm excited about this season. And... uh, I would say they have a very, very good opportunity and chance to to go all the way this year. And just for one other example of a team that maybe has slow starts and then always ends up in the playoffs and always is a factor, the New England Patriots. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're missing Tom Brady this year, but, you know, Belichick and Brady, for that matter, for, you know, many years have had a slow start. The first quarter of the season, you know, they're not lighting up the scoreboard and blowing people out. But, boy... Halfway through the season, later in the season, uh, players are on board. The timing's better. The the play calling's better. Uh, the chemistry's better, and they run right into the playoffs. And I see that. I th- I see the Saints doing that. 
Last question before I let you go, John. Who are you going to be rooting for on Monday? Who dat? That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to say who dat. I love it. John, we appreciate you joining us on the show today. Thanks, Caroline. Take care. Fantastic interview with both Jeff and John. We appreciate them coming on the show today to join us on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, uh, stay inside if you can, if the weather's too bad, and just be smart in general. Um, But if you're not in Louisiana, go out and have some fun. Have some fun this weekend because the Saints don't play until Monday. We can't wait. And don't forget to tune into that Monday edition with Brian Greasy and Marcus, Mark Broussard, excuse me. That'll do it for our Friday edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Thanks so much for listening.